Hello there. I want to talk to you tonight about why this week I was called Jack of All Trades, Master of Sex. I'm going to tell you about that tonight on the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show, the show where we educate men and women about sexual health, how it relates to overall health, making your relationships the best they can be. Good evening, everybody. I am Maureen McGrath with a little additional music there in the background. <laughs> Thanks to Luke, Luke Meat. Thank you, my friend. Glad to have you back here. Thank you very much, Maureen. Doing the technical production. Always a pleasure to have you. Always a pleasure to be here with you tonight. I'm Maureen McGrath. I'm a registered nurse, a sexpert. It is my absolute pleasure to come here and be with you this evening here in the studios. In addition to being a nurse, I'm also a presenter, blogger, and researcher. And this week I was at GF Strong recruiting patients for a research study, cardiovascular control after spinal cord injury, when a few of the nurses recognized my voice from the radio and they are like, what are you doing here? I said, well, I do other things in addition to this radio show, which I, I just do once a week. Uh, and they were quite surprised at that. So I explained, I was recruiting patients for a research study and they said, oh my goodness, you're a jack of all trades, master of sex. And I love that. Anyway, so that's my new title. Uh, to that end, I'm going to be talking about the importance of clinical research and the advancements of medicine and how we can take better care and improve quality of life for people. One of those uh, questions I'm going to ask you tonight is, would you have sex in the interest of science? Why not? Sounds like fun, but the reality is that sometimes research is not all that much fun, but it is vital. I, of course, do my own research. You know what that's all about. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, I'm not going to laugh too much. Uh, this week in the news, sex is always in the news. And unfortunately, there's a peeping Tom out at UBC. At, according to the newsroom here, it's not been caught yet. Uh, I just wanted to review peeping Tom. They're, they're quite dangerous, actually. They are people who spy on others. According to urban legend, this is the urban legend uh, definition, they spy on others while they're engaged in some sort of lewd behavior. It actually stems from the legend of when Lady Godiva rode through the streets of the town nude. She had instructed the townsfolk not to watch her, but one gentleman, uh, known simply as Tom, peeked and was immediately blinded. So that's where the name comes from. But it's actually um, a very serious situation and should be reported to the police if you ever see that. Um, and you, cause you, it's difficult to tell. You don't know if there's somebody who's going to be robbing the neighborhood or, uh, peeping. They generally always have an excuse. If you find them in their bushes, they're kind of like, Oh, I saw somebody in your bushes. Yeah. Right. When I was growing up, we actually had a peeping Tom in the neighborhood that my father caught on a number of occasions. And interestingly enough, he didn't really amount to much in life. He had a lot of trouble. So I wonder if there's a correlation there. Also, Caitlyn Jenner, Jenner has been all over the news this week, of course, I'm sure you've heard all about it, so I'm not going to review that too much. She did deliver a brilliant speech at the ESPYs amongst a lot of controversy leading up to that, whether or not she deserved that award. I was chatting with a gentleman that I was meeting with this week, and he said he just could not believe the conversations that he was having with his peers about the situation. I said, do you want to know what my peers are saying? He said, sure. I said, we're saying she looks amazing. 70 is the new 30, and how can I look like that? Well, yeah, that would take millions of dollars. But uh, speaking of which, I, I receive a lot of messages, and I do love when you email me, sextalk at cknw.com, anytime you like. I'm happy to answer any questions or try to get the answer for you. But I do get some 
messages on other social media channels as well. And I got this one on LinkedIn, and it said, Dear Maureen, your background is very impressive, and you are pretty. And then he said, Well done. Like I, <laughs> I'm not that pretty, number one. <laughs> um, but like I did something. <laughs> what are you saying, Luke? I'm just saying, does it even matter? It doesn't Whether even you're pretty or not. matter. It doesn't you are, matter. by the way, but it no, doesn't matter. It's You know what? It doesn't matter. And it really just completely deflated the impressive background, which impressed me a whole lot more, <laughs> I must say. But you know what? Yeah, like that's impressive. Give me a break. Anyway, I, I, as I say, um, whatever. Now I'm blushing. I didn't really mean that. But I was like, seriously, like, are you kidding me? This is the kind of message you're sending me? Impressive background and you're pretty good for you or well done. Like I had surgery. Anyway, I didn't. I have a face for radio. Nonetheless, um, back to uh, Caitlyn Jenner. I am a bit perplexed by the entire thing. I have absolutely no issue with transgenderism whatsoever. I, of all people, want everybody to live their authentic self, their truest self, their most genuine self. I love people. I I find people very interesting. I'm far more interested in, in your life than I am in my own, um, in a way, if you know what I'm saying. I love to hear about people. Um, but I question, and I'm not judging, so it's, it's difficult to even say this, but the need for attention of, of somebody um, she is at least lending her voice to this, or they are lending their voice, because that is the preference. Um, people who are transgenders do uh, prefer at certain stages to be referred to as they. So um, this need for attention to uh, show you her entire family, have them in, in the spotlight, do a reality show. I mean, you know, it's not me, but it's them, and I suppose that's that's fine. And, and once again there, I need to accept all and, and treat others well as well. So if that's what Caitlin feels the need to do in her life, then that is fine. I'm going to talk to you about uh, a research study that I meant to tell you about last week. Uh, because I'm always asking the question, would you have sex in the name of science? That was actually an article that I read, and I want to speak to you about that a little bit. But the MODIS study, I meant to mention last week, and it's a, I do a lot of sexual health research. I'm involved in a lot of that. Um, there's a study out at UBC at uh, and VGH. It's the Mood, Stress, and Sexual Desire in Women study. Research Researchers found the relationship between stress hormones, cortisol and DHEA, mood and a history of stressors in women with and without sexual desire complaints. And so what they found basically was that women who had low DHEA, which is a precursor to the hormone testosterone in women, yes, we have a little bit, uh, was low in women who had experienced a trauma. And, or it wasn't even necessarily a trauma, but a traumatic reaction to a life event. It could have been anything like a divorce or not making the cheerleading team. It could have occurred in childhood, early adolescence, and early adulthood as well, or, or adolescence and early adulthood as well. So there is, um, if you Google mood stress and sexual desire in women, um, you can see the Inclusion criteria, they are studying females between the ages of 19 and 65. You do or do not experience sexual desire difficulties, so you don't necessarily have to have that. You cannot be currently depressed or taking particular medications or taking DHEA or, or contraception. So the, take a look at that study. It's a very interesting study. We are always trying to find out the reason for low sexual desire in women. Uh, it eludes a lot of us. There's lots of things that can be done, um, and I've certainly reviewed a lot of those. 
on the show. But tonight I'm going to be talking about HIV and the associated stigma. Would you marry someone who is HIV positive if you were or were not? Well, Cody wasn't, and he did, and he joins me later on in the program to share his story. Also, I had a very interesting email. I love this girl's email. Anyway, um, and it brings the question, begs the question, what would you do if you found your husband was cheating? And what are some of the reasons that men cheat? And what are some of the things you can do to prevent tragedies like this? Because this is a tragedy of betrayal. What can you do to prevent tragedies like this in your marriage or relationship? Well, what you can do, and I'm going to review tonight, is assess your sexual compatibility even before you get into bed with them or marry with them. Also, how do you treat your man? Are you emasculating him? Did you realize that all of your nitpicking on the minutia of life is very toxic for your relationship? Let it go, baby. I was talking about this as a, a woman who had a hamburger moment, like an aha moment, and uh, she realized just how poorly she was treating her husband, and he had purchased uh, 70 30 hamburger meat instead of 80-20. So I was talking to a couple of my male colleagues today and telling them about that, and they were like rolling their eyes. I was saying, you know, have you felt picked on by women in your life? They're like, oh, yes. And and one of the uh, uh, guys said, um, you know, really, if you're going to have a hamburger, why would you get, you know, no fat in it? You want to enjoy it. (laughs) Anyway, so um, these guys had been, uh, the wind was uh, taken out of their sails a bit, just the memory of having been treated poorly by somebody who nitpicked uh, every little aspect about them. So you want to take a look at how you're treating the person you allegedly love the most. Anyway, so when I come back, we're going to get to uh, that email about the cheating husband and uh, what you can do to increase your sexual compatibility. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Welcome back. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. That is a great song. I love that version, Luke. Thank you so much. Uh, I hope you're having a great night. Well, we're talking about uh, love and sex and relationships and sexual compatibility. I did want to read you a couple of emails, though. First, uh, all right, here it is. Dear Maureen, first of all, I want to say that I love you. I love you too. I love how honest you are and how you really want to help people. I'm hoping you can help me. I recently found out that my husband of 12 years has been cheating on me. I have not yet confronted him on this because I have not got a clue of what I'm going to do. We have so many problems. Most recently is job loss, so finances and a new baby, to name a few. I hate myself. I'm acting like a crazy woman. I know because I'm so panicked. First of all, any idea why he may have cheated on me? I know you don't me don't know me from a whistle, but surely there are common reasons, and maybe I can change things and hope it never happens again. Whatever help you can offer is greatly appreciated. I love the fact that this woman is really starting at the beginning. I'm not going to be able to help you in 30 seconds here on the air, um, but I can. But you're starting on a great path. Um, there are a number of common reasons why men cheat and a number of common reasons why women cheat, but the, the five most common reasons men cheat, number one is more sex. 
the desire for a more active sex life. They want sexual variety, the desire for different types of sex or a particular sex act. Opportunistic sex, it just happened. He's presented with an opportunity and he thinks, I'm not going to get caught. Also, to satisfy his sexual curiosity about having sex with a particular person. So he may after he may have a conquest in his mind. And also, number five is to reaffirm his sexuality. So these are some of the common reasons. And if you have a new baby, and if he's lost his job, those are two risk factors, because the more dependent a man is on a woman financially, the greater chances he is to cheat. So the finances and the new baby, because he may be feeling neglected uh, with the new baby around. So those are some of the reasons. I would suggest that you do speak to him about this. This is an issue in the relationship. And this is maybe a conversation, not, not that it's too late, but it maybe was a conversation that this young woman should have had prior to marrying him. Because it does relate to sexual compatibility. In today's world, and I've mentioned this before, we focus more on societal pressures to be with the right one, the rich one, the good-looking one, the one who has the potential to make the most money, has the best car, the one that's the right age. But what about compatibility? What, uh, what are some of the conversations you need to have before you commit to a life with somebody? Maybe the two of you have done the dirty deed. I shouldn't say dirty deed. The deed. A million times. It doesn't know that you really know what your partner wants and likes in bed. So you've got to have the talk, baby. You've got to have the sex talk with him or her. Because so you, you need to find out. You need to find out if you're closely related in terms of being on the same page so that you can at least try and get on the same page. Maybe she has a secret fetish that she hasn't shared with you or, or maybe her desire is higher or yours. So you, you need to have that. You also need to have the talk about finances. How do you spend your money? How do you manage your money? How have you managed your money in previous relationships? How are you going to manage your money? Finances are the biggest problem that people, that couples can have. Also, you've got to talk about communication style. Uh, how do people deal, how does your partner deal with problems? How, you want to prevent big blow-ups. You want to maybe even establish a way to communicate. And you want to have some situations and maybe analyze how each partner had approached uh, a situation or how they might approach a particular situation because you want to have some comfort in knowing that you can get over some of these challenges. And people can certainly get over affairs. That's a big question. They certainly can get over that it, with the, in the right uh, if they take the right approach. But you need to know each other, really, truly know each other. And that's part of the conversation as well. You've got to have the cheating chat. Sometimes infidelity is easily defined, but in today's world, it's really not that easily defined. Having sex with someone in bed, yeah, okay, that's cheating. We know that. Um, ding, ding. A uh, <laughs> little bit of alarm there. But is cheating online. We have so many opportunities today. How about an emotional affair? An affair where you're telling somebody all of your troubles, somebody outside of your intimate relationship. So you really want to have that sit down chat and discuss exactly what constitutes cheating, especially in the context of your particular relationship, because it's different for everybody uh, in every relationship. 
And that's the thing. You might, your husband or wife might cheat and then your family finds out and they may put pressures on you to stay or to leave or whatever. You just don't know. Also, the childhood exchange. Tell me about your childhood because a lot of the problems we bring to relationships stem from our family of origin. Was your father an alcoholic? That's going to bring big troubles to a relationship because there are adult children of alcoholics or other addicts. Um, So you need to know what kind of home they were brought up in. Uh, Somebody gave a really horrific example today, you know, where some kids are getting bikes. Some other people are, are, you know, getting beaten up or being urinated on their by their parents at Christmas time. I mean, these are sort of some of the reality situations that I have heard in my career and in the work that I do because I work everywhere around this city. I work from the downtown east side over uh, to the Crossroads Clinic, uh, GF Strong, all over the place, and, I, and I've heard some of the tough stories. And it's really difficult to be a stable adult when you've had an upbringing like that. So you want to be, you want to at least understand. You don't expect to come from identical backgrounds and don't think that that's the only way that you can uh, be with somebody as well. Um, so you want to also have that future conversation. What does each person envision for the upcoming years? It's important to get on the same page about your plans and you want to make sure you cover all the possibilities so that, you know, probably money is going to be a big issue. And and it sounds like it is in this, um, mom's life, uh, because of course with job loss and today the economy is a little bit less stable, the incredibly low interest rates, the incredibly massive amounts of debt people are carrying. So you want to be prepared for anything that can happen and you want to approach problems in a calm manner uh, in a way that you perhaps both sit down and talk about it. But I, I really urge you to this young woman who emailed me about her husband's affair that she believes he's having. Maybe that she's panicked and nervous, but um, we're, I'm going to go with uh, that she believes that. But it's best to sit down and actually confront him and have a conversation about it because there may be things that he's feeling that you would like to know um, that can certainly improve your relationship. So Uh, Anyway, good luck to you on that, and um, feel free to email me again and uh, if you need some help, uh, further help with that situation. So who volunteers to have sex in a laboratory? I was uh, struck by this question because there's lots of uh, research is so important, and I actually read an article recently by Chris McBride, who is um, with BC. Uh, paraplegic association it works a lot in spinal cord and and with i-cord international collaboration on repair discovery and some of the research that i do even i approach um, men and women within two to ten days after they have sustained a traumatic spinal cord injury and this is not easy because it's a very difficult time for people it's a life-altering time they're very confused they are concerned they are fearful but so many people want to help. And, and that's what's so important about research studies is that that's the only way we're going to learn how to improve the quality of life for other people. And so you may not want to participate and you may not even benefit from a research study. We have lots of studies going on here in the city at VGH and UBC and GF Strong, SFU, 
Um, I'm involved in a number of them, and it's important so we can advance the progress of medicine for people and help people to live um, much better lives, especially in devastating situations that can be devastating situations and a big trauma to people, especially after they have sustained a spinal cord injury. And that will certainly impact somebody's bladder health, somebody's bowel health, and as well their sexual health also. Um, so research studies are important. It's not just weird people who uh, participate in sex research studies. Some of the males we find um, are just very comfortable with their sexuality and um, who participate, and, and some of the females as well. And, and some people are really seeking help because it can be really troublesome. Anyway, when I come back, we're going to be talking to a gentleman who married a man who was HIV positive. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Welcome back. I'm Maureen. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Thanks for being here. You can always call me 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell if you have any questions. The show goes till 9 o'clock. If it's going to take you some courage to give me a call about your sex question. Uh, We're talking about lots of different subjects tonight. And uh, one subject I wanted to talk about was HIV and the associated stigma. People with HIV AIDS can live a long and healthy life because of the access to treatment. And since HIV was first reported, substantial progress in the research and development of antiretroviral medications has been made. And a lot of that progress has occurred right here in this city due due to the fine work of Dr. Julio Montaner and his colleagues. There are now more than 20 approved antiretroviral drugs. This uh, situation, this disease, this condition, HIV AIDS has gone from an acute, almost death sentence 20, 30 years ago to a chronic condition that people can live long lives with. Despite that, stigma still remains. And Cody joins me on the line to share his very personal story of life, love, and living. Hello, Cody. Hello, Maureen. Can you hear me? I can. How are you? I'm doing not too bad. How about yourself? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for joining me tonight. Not a problem. Thanks for having me on. Not at all. Now, there are so many myths about HIV and AIDS out there. Yes. And there, I mean, and and education is key. And I'm just going to dispel a couple of myths first, just to... uh, uh, one time, one of my sisters' uh, his boyfriend broke up with her, and so my mother, in her infinite wisdom, was trying to make my sister feel better, and so she said, "Well, maybe he was gay." And my sister said, "Mom, he wasn't gay." And my mother said, "Well, maybe he, <laughs> maybe he was the other. Maybe he was a lesbian." <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, so that's the first myth I'm going to dispel: the opposite of gay is not lesbian. Okay, <laughs> that's the one. Yeah, that's an important one to uh, distinguish. Okay. Now, the second yeah. myth that I want to dispel is that all men love breasts. Not all men love breasts, and that message was made loud and clear to me this week when I was at a dinner party with a few friends, one of whom was gay. So I leaned over to over him to look at the sunset, and sometimes the girls arrive before I do, I will admit. <laughs> and I said, oh, I'm so sorry to be hanging over you. And he said, Oh, don't worry about it. They don't do a thing for me. And I said, not a thing? He said, no, nothing. How to hurt a girl, or should I say girls? Anyway, so my point here is <laughs> you can't knock being gay out of someone either. They're just not attracted to knockers. I mean, 
<laughs> anyways, because some people because some people think, oh, he, he doesn't mean to be gay or she doesn't mean to be gay. We're going to try and change that. So there's been a lot of that. So that's those are just a couple of the uh, myths that I wanted to dispel. But you have a lot more. <laughs> oh, Lord. It's not easy being me, let me tell you. <laughs> so tell me about your life. <laughs> oh. Well, I don't think the show's long enough, Maureen. Okay, but, well. Okay. <laughs> um. You know, I, I came out of the closet when I was in my second year of university. Um, and, you know, I actually had to deal with some of that notion um, from very close family members thinking that therapy could, you know, knock the gay out of me. Um, and, you know, that was, that was a tough thing to deal with. Uh, but luckily, I was surrounded by some great people in my life that gave me an immense amount of strength and support. So I knew that what I was going through in accepting who I was, was not something that could be changed. Absolutely. And that must have been very hard living up until what age 20. Um, yeah, I think it was about 19, 19 or 20, not being an authentic, your authentic self, not able to live true to who you were. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, I think I was living as true to myself as I could up until that point. Um, but None of us really do, so don't worry about it. But yeah, anyway. You know, I, I was trying to get as close as I could without uh, touching on that last little bit of truth that I needed to finally admit to myself. And so what are, the, are, what are some of the stigma that you face today uh, with being a gay man? Uh, you know... Um, I think there's still a lot of the notion that going back to what uh, you kind of touched on right at the very beginning uh, when you introduced the segment about HIV, and that's the fact that it is still very much a predominantly gay man's disease. And there's a lot of ignorance that floats around in, I think, in any communities about the disease itself and you know i remember in university having straight jock morons for the lack of a better word you know saying good luck with the hiv and calling me you know all sorts of derogatory things and it was funny because i would sit back and i would think about that as i was walking away and I kind of thought to myself that if anybody was going to get it, it would probably be that uneducated jock who was making those ignorant and derogatory comments who, you know, probably polished off about two, three tankers of beer and, you know, touched something he maybe shouldn't have. Interesting. Yeah, you never know. And in fact, um, you know, at all the hospitals, I don't know if people have seen this in the elevators, but it's it's basically the get tested campaign that's going on. Um, and it's because the highest increase of the incidence of HIV AIDS is the female, 50 year old female and, and mm-hmm. above uh, white heterosexual married female. I mean, or are divorced, um, whatever, because uh, of lack of education. This is no longer a gay man's disease, if it ever was. 
you know, I don't think it ever was. I think it's just because when the virus really started to gain some kind of media attention, it was because of gay men. Yes. And there was already an issue at large socially with the gay community. Right. And and so, so anybody we, is at risk for this today. Let, let's get the appropriate education out for today. Exactly. And, you know, I think as um, a gay man, a man, period, um, you know, I'm educated about STIs and HIV and how to protect myself. And unfortunately, I think there's still a lot of people at large, including like the heterosexual community, that just don't feel there's still kind of a bubble around them and they're safe from it. Exactly. Now, you uh, got married last year. I Well, no, just this year. About Oh, was it this ago. year? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Recent marriage. <laughs> I, what's that? Sorry, you're still on your honeymoon. Yeah, well, yeah, we're still in the honeymoon phase. <laughs> That's great. Okay, so uh, you married a uh, man who's, uh, tell me about the, your partner, Jake. Yes, right. My partner, Jake, he Your is... husband, Jake. What am I saying? Oh, what are we saying? Husband, you're getting me all flustered here, Maureen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm nervous, um, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my husband, Jake, um, is HIV positive. Um, he's been living with it for four years. Mm-hmm. Uh, his viral loads are very good. He's undetectable. Um, and he takes care of himself and... Part of him taking care of himself is me taking care of him and us taking care of each other. Um, you know, making sure that if his cholesterol goes a little bit up, I do go to the store and I buy him a box of Cheerios so that we can lower his cholesterol to keep everything top-notch. Right. Uh, but like anything else, like you said earlier, it's a chronic disease. It's not a death sentence. And taking uh, HIV treatment requires effort and commitment because the drugs, as I understand it, must be taken at exact times each day. Some people forget to take their medication. Not just the general population has a compliance rate of about 80%. Uh, some people experience side effects or may not respond to certain drugs. So how do you deal with some of those issues in your relationship? Uh, you know, um, the, the meds that he is on, he takes them at night before bed. Um, and there are things he has to avoid but before taking his medications, avoid any fatty foods or anything like that because it will upset his stomach. Um, but you know what? It just becomes a regime, just like everything else in life, getting up, making your lunch, getting in the car, driving to the office, going through your day, going home. It's, it just becomes part of who you are and what you need to do to, to take care of yourself in every way. Absolutely. And... Um... So do you find today, uh, you're a few years older, I gather, than um, when you were in university. Yeah. I don't know how old you are, but um, do you find... A lady never tells how old they are. Exactly. It's <laughs> Age is like a phone number, and mine is unlisted. Uh, exactly. <laughs> anyway, something like that. Um, but it's been a few years since you're, came, you came out, and what's the difference in... Do you find uh, how people respond to you as a gay man or you as a gay man who has married a uh, gay man who is HIV positive? 
you know, I think the perception has changed a lot in general um, as to how people deal with homosexuality. Um, but it's there's been a lot of different labels that have come out recently, like the transgender and all these different labels that are associated with the community at large. So it's almost too much for people to process sometimes. And I mean, as a gay man, as part of the community, I can't always process it myself. Right. Um, right. But what's going to help think... us to process it, because we're sort of running out of time here, and I don't want to forget to mention it, are all of the gay pride events that are happening around the province. Definitely. I mean, it brings awareness to a lot of things, a lot of issues affecting the community, and there's a lot of great... Uh, you know, vendors that will be at these events. And we have the Davy Street, <laughs> and we have the Davy Street Block Party, and the thirty-seven, yeah. and the uh, annual Gay Pride Parade, and also Okanagan Pride, and uh, these occur all around the country and all around the world, which is fantastic. Oh, yeah. they're, they're huge, and it's a great way to foster that sense of community as well as educate everybody. Well, wonderful, Cody. Thank you so much. You've been an absolute delight having you on the air. Thanks a bunch, Maureen. And, it was a pleasure and, speaking with you. All right. And uh, enjoy that lovely marriage of yours. I wish you all love and peace every minute of the day. Oh, thank you very much. That's very sweet. Oh, you're very welcome. All right. Take care. We'll see you at the Gay Pride parties. Um, anyway, when I come back, how are you treating your man? Do you know that that can lead to a toxic relationship? I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Welcome back. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. I'm Maureen McGrath. I'm a registered nurse, sexpert. I blog uh, a number of times a week. I did want to tell you about one of my blogs recently, but you can go to my blog, but I actually am having a blonde moment right now, (laughs) and I can't remember which one it was about. Oh, no, I don't think that was it. Anyway. I'll figure it out. Don't worry. It'll come to me. If you can't remember something, sometimes they say to move your eyes back and forth, and then it'll stir your memory. I don't know if there's any neurological truth to that, but I'm going to try it. I did want to talk about how people treat their partners. I, I read an article where a woman realized, thank goodness, that she'd been accidentally abusing her husband for the entire marriage. Sometimes people take it. There are different personalities. There are gentle souls. There are people who couldn't get angry if uh, their life depended on it. And then there are people who just snap at everything, Have are such perfectionists perhaps. One of the common things that I hear a lot of women say about their husbands in particular is that their husbands have this particular way of loading the dishwasher. And I mean, They don't actually put any dishes in the dishwasher, but then once the dishes are loaded by the female in the relationship or anyway, then they they come along to rescue the dishes and they rearrange them and then get all annoyed and angry. And one woman's husband even broke a few dishes in the dishwasher, rearranging it. So this seems to be a common thing. But this particular woman realized that she was screaming at her husband because he brought home hamburger meat that was 80 
uh, it was 70-30 instead of 80-20. So 80% lean she wanted and 20% fat. And he brought 70-30, and she was emasculating him and screaming at him, you know, you didn't get the right kind, and what is this? And he replied with a furrowed brow and was basically emasculated because this kind of behavior was what she was doing repeatedly. You've met them. You've met the Bickersons, right? They just, nothing is right. She is constantly at him. He didn't pick her up on time. They got there late. It was completely his fault. He's quiet. He's unassuming. You've met this type, and it's a very toxic way to be in a relationship. When you berate somebody for not being smarter, when you launch into somebody, when you cannot trust that person or say, I can't trust you to do anything, and and you're insulting their intelligence or insulting their observational skills or screaming at them for not noticing the type of hamburger meat that you have always gotten or the type of yogurt or some ridiculous little aspect of life that really doesn't matter. Uh, There are really important things in life like illness and loss and betrayal and shocking events that occur in the world. And the kind of hamburger meat somebody brings home is completely and totally irrelevant. How clean your house is is completely and totally irrelevant in the whole scheme of things. A lot of people obsess about cleaning their house and focusing on that and ignoring their partner or focusing on all the volunteer activities that they can do at the school and ignoring their partner. And then when they come home to their partner, they are screaming at the partner and just livid for absolutely no reason, becoming some kind of a split personality. These relationships exist. And this is a reason somebody may actually emotionally remove themselves from a relationship. And it's important to recognize if you are doing this with your partner, in particular your husband, are you belittling your husband? Are you making your husband feel less than important? Or is this the person you want to grow old with? Well, if you're treating this person this way all along the way, it's not going to be a happy relationship at all. Relationships can be a big power struggle, but how does this type of behavior benefit anybody in the relationship? So it's really looking at uh, how a person reacts to the issues in life, and this is something you want to look at before you marry them, if you're so lucky to have the opportunity to think, uh, to look at this type of thing, to look at their reactions. Um, You know, bridezillas, it's it's okay to walk. <laughs> you notice a little bridezilla behavior? It's like, bye-bye. See you later. Um, this type of treatment, it borders, lo- borders on abuse, and a lot of men will just put up with it. Um, and, and men uh, do this as well. So it's, it's not limited to one person. This type of behavior does not d- discriminate, but you really need to sit down and, uh, and deal with these situations. Anyway... When I come back, we're going to wrap up this program, and I'm going to tell you what's coming up next week. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. 
Welcome back. Well, it's time to wrap things up. I did remember what I was going to tell you, so maybe that little eye trick worked. Uh, on my blog, backtothebedroom-blog.ca, I've written a very special blog. <laughs> no, actually, for the last several weeks, all I'm hearing from patients in the office, female patients, is, no, I'm not having sex with my husband we haven't had sex for two years, but my husband is the really most patient guy ever. No, my husband and I aren't sexually active. We haven't had sex for 10 years, but my husband is really patient. No, my husband and I are not having sex, but my husband is really patient. I have never met a patient guy. I just want to say that they're not that patient. These women are fooling themselves, and that's another reason that sexual health education is really important. And so that's why next week I'm going to be talking about not only did I write the blog, which you can find at backtothebedroom-blog.ca, or you can go to my website, www.backtothebedroom.ca, but next week I'm going to talk about the importance of educating women about pleasure and educating women so that they understand their bodies and that they are able to communicate that sex is for them as well and it's vital and important and delicious and to be enjoyed and amazing and pleasure is key. What do we educate about? We educate about how not to get a sexually transmitted infection, how not to get pregnant, how not to do this, how not to find the wrong guy or the right guy or whatever. What we need to do is educate women about their sexuality. So I'm going to start that next week. Uh, you can always follow me on Twitter or tweet me at back the number two, the bedroom. You can email me sextalk at cknw.com. I will uh, answer your emails and I try and answer every single one of them, if not on the air in writing. Um, tonight I have a little message for you. I'm just feeling a little nostalgic and a little loving. So I, I saw this and I thought this is really lovely. So from me to you, I wish you peace, the kind that lights you up from the inside out so brightly that people wonder what your secret is. I wish you love, true, deep, unquestionable love that starts from within and magically draws you to those who recognize the beauty of your soul and cherish your presence. Anyway, always visit my website, www.backtothebedroom.ca. When you stumble on this gravel road of life, make it part of your dance. I am Maureen McGrath. You've been listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Until next week, have a sexually healthy week.